check the title out in the bulletin, Is the Old Testament Applicable to Me as a Christian? Is uh, the question. And the verses there are uh, Galatians chapter 3. I'm actually at this point kind of rearranged things at the last minute. We'll be getting to those at the end of the sermon. And uh, what we're looking at is, is a question, and it's surprising the amount of, 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 of Christians who have had little study in the Old Testament. Um, part of it is uh, we're so focused on what Christ has done for us, and we see it so clearly in the New Testament that we, you know, we spend most of our time there, most of our preaching there, this type of thing. And the question comes up, well, how does it, how does it apply to us, or does it even apply to us? There are actually some groups of Christians who actually separate the Old Testament and say, that is the Old Testament, it doesn't apply to us. They, they never look at it again. Uh, so to speak. And, and so is it applicable? And my answer is going to be to you, absolutely. Um, we start with Scripture. We've been going over and over and over again. When Second Timothy chapter 3, it says God's Word is bre- Him breathing. When Paul wrote that, most of the Scripture that we had, we didn't have all of the New Testament. Most of what we had was the Old Testament. And as a result, Paul was... Uh, uh, you know, basically saying the Old Testament is God breathed just as much as the New Testament is. And the other side of it is, is that if it's God's character and, and we say God is changing every day or we say he's unchanging. OK, if he's unchanging and he said those words, then they are applicable to today. And so that's kind of the approach we're going to take. So really, from a Christian perspective, what we have is. One book, one Bible, one book. Yes, it's divided into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. And for obvious reasons, you realize that the Bible, if you look at it carefully and you start to count and add it up, it has over 40 authors, 40 contributors to it. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. Took over 1,500 years from the beginning of its writing to where we are. And some people will say, well, isn't the time frame older than that? Yes, but Moses is the one who started and put it together starting with Genesis. So from Moses' time to now, over 1,500 years to put it together. And yet you can read through it and you will not find it contradicting itself. Now, some people are going to turn around and say the exact opposite. They're going to say, oh, there's all sorts of contradictions in the Bible, especially between the Old and the New Testament. The reason for that is that they haven't studied it hard enough. I don't mean to be trite, but that's the bottom line. God's Word is consistent all the way through. It is a progressive, and I'm so careful about using that word in today's politics, But it is a progressive revelation, meaning that it, over a period of time, unveils more and more and more of God's purpose and His plan for His people. And so we have a plan that, according to Ephesians chapter 1, started before the foundation of the world in reference to His children that He would call His elected, He would pull out of the world His his church. And... And so we look at it and we say, here we, what we have is 
Uh, some people will say the roadmap to the Christian life. Uh, it's a number of different things, but it is most importantly God-breathed Word, God's purpose, God's plans, God's ideas, His thoughts. And through reading it, we get to see His face in a sense. We catch glimpses of Him at least. We get to begin to understand His character. We begin to see God's holiness. He's perfect in every way. We also begin to see something else that His Word reveals very clearly. Our unholiness. Our sin. And we find very clearly from His Word that sin separates us from Him. And that we need to come to Him and ask for His forgiveness to be restored to Him. And in the process, He brings us back into His fellowship and, 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 and embraces us. He chases... I, I love the, the fact, because I believe this is true, as we've come to Him and we begin to follow after Him and then we blow it, He, he literally chases us down. I, uh, I've mentioned it frequently. It's a great story. The Hound of Heaven. Uh, an opiate addict that that over and over and over again fell into uh, uh, addiction, and God d- chased him down like the hound of heaven. That's what the title of the book, and 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 revived him, brought him back into his fellowship. God never abandoned him. We can have that confidence in His holiness. He seeks after us even in our sin. While we were yet sinners, He what? Died for us. So we see our need to be holy as God is holy because God says that's the only way we get to be drawn into His presence permanently. Be ye holy as I am holy, the King James Version. Our inability to get there is what we begin to see because we've all sinned. We also fall short of the glory of God. And... The penalty for sin, we've gone over and over again, is death. Separation from God in the sense of fellowship, but ultimately separation from God eternally. And by the way, from the time that you very first sinned, that's what you deserve. Be careful when you say, I deserve. I I I I see even a few commercials. I deserve, or a couple of shows. You know, I deserve. I and and you hear it. I deserve this. I deserve that. I pay my taxes. I deserve. Uh, and the reality is, is that the only thing you can claim as a fallen person of the world, which all of us are, we all fall short of the glory of God, is the only thing we deserve is the death sentence. And when do we deserve it? We deserve it from the moment we first sinned. First committed sin that we were consciously aware of. This is, I have done wrong. We deserved to be judged that moment. So all of us that sit here are sitting under a general kind of grace in addition to specific grace of coming underneath Christ. But the, the world, all, I think of all the runners that are going to be out there today and, and all the rodeo that comes up this next week and all this thing. And, and we see rodeo time as, uh, you know, it can be pretty rowdy around this place at times. And, and, you know, but all of us, 
the whole community of Fortuno, the whole Eel River Valley, the whole United States, the whole world, every breath we take, we take at the grace of God. It's an amazing thing to see. And, and so we look at this and say, this is the book that reveals him. This is the book that tells us about him. Old and New Testament. Or part one and part two, if you prefer. It's, it's what gives us that picture. And, and Jesus is, is absolutely clear through his scriptures. Paul makes it clear in his writings to Romans that if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Christ and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Why? Because his perfect holiness is put over us through his sacrifice on the cross. And the words very clearly, it is finished. I thought of how am I going to relate this today, and I just ask that you bear with me. I, I just simply wrote down a, 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 an outline of, 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 of Scripture here in the sense of, of looking at the Old and New Testaments. And Genesis is, is a complete story is what I want you to see. And, and, and it's incomplete if you leave either part of it out. If you leave the, the New Testament out, it's incomplete. If you leave the Old Testament out, it's incomplete. There are, there are a number of people who don't look at the, the New Testament. They only look at the Old Testament. By the way, the, 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 the Jewish nation is a whole. You know, I, I hear people say, and, and, and this is a, a trend that started in the, in the 60s and, and 70s, was, well, the Islam and the Jews and the Christians all believe in the same God. Therefore, they're all really, you know, together. Why do they fight with each other? Well, the why we fight with each other is got reason to be debated. But the reality that we all have the same God, that's not true. We do not have the same God. Some will say, well, they talk about the Old Testament and, and uh, uh, Islam as well as, as the Jewish faith, and they talk about God and, and this and that and that, and the... And the, the Islam recognizes Jesus as a prophet, and oh, you know, we're all connected. The only way you can be identified with the one true God is that you have come to Him through Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way to have access to the throne of God other than through Jesus Christ the Lord. And to confess Him as the Son of God, raised from the dead covering our sins. So understand that this is important to see. And so we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament as part of our heritage. Old Testament history, in the beginning. Starts right off there. That's our beginning too. It's the, it's the beginning of, of God's plan that involves saving everybody through Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Goes on to say ultimately that he created male and female in his image. Actually, he says, in our image, we will let us create male and female. And somebody will say, our image? Yeah, God pointing out that he's the triune God, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see. Man created in the image of God. We also see in Genesis chapter 3 the fall of man. 
And, and because of sin, the fall and, and judgment comes. But within the midst of the judgment is a promise in Genesis 3.15. Says it's the, it's speaking against uh, the devil at this point, against the serpent and his judgment. But he says there'll be enmity put between you and the woman, and the seed of the woman, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The seed, singular. It's referring to Jesus Christ. So at the very beginning of the fall, we see that God had a plan of redemption. Satan's power would be crushed and God would be, you know, and, and Satan would take a shot at, at Jesus, but it would fail and he would lose everything. So, in the very beginning, that's our history, that's our promise. Over and over again. We find in the book of Genesis and on through the, the Old Testament, man turns from God. Turns back to God. Turns away from God. Sin reigns. In Genesis 6-8, through 8, we have the first picture of, 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 of sin running rampant through the world to the point where what God does is He says, we can't have this at, at, this, at this level any longer. I have no idea how bad it must have been. But you have to think about it. It was bad enough that God said we have to go back to square one. You know, we think we've got a, a monopoly today from a Christian perspective. We think we've got a monopoly today on sin. We don't. Man is capable and has always been capable of ugly, terrible sin against God. So man turns from God. Sin reigns during... And God says, "Let you know, I'm going to put it all underneath through a flood. I'm going to cleanse it all. With the exception of Noah. And we know the story. I'm not going to go into the details. A new start starts in Genesis 9-10. through 10, And we find in Genesis 11, we're already at it again. With the Tower of Babel. Let us build a temp, our own building right up into the heavens that we might be like God. So God, the whole world at that point spoke one language. God confused the languages. I, and and I, I can't imagine what it must have been like. <laughs> Come to work that morning. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he confused the languages and the people scattered. They scattered what? In their language groups. And started to populate the world. By the way, weren't they supposed to have been doing that in the first place? So God... Makes it happen. God continues His plan. He now works through, after this, He works through Abraham and Sarah. And He works through them miraculously. He gives them a child who would now have the promises that would relate to the seed that would deal with the seed. Abraham would give, through his lineage, birth to the seed, the singular, the one who would crush all evil. 
Genesis chapter 12, God gives Abraham the promises that his, that his, his uh, descendants will be like the stars of heaven. From one? Yeah. Isaac is born. He continues the lineage that will bring about the seed. Famine leads them into Egypt. The Hebrews grow. The Jewish population continues to grow and to thrive, even under persecution. Even under great persecution. And then the book of Exodus. God rises, raises up a leader. Miraculously. Moses. And we have now the picture of the promised land brought into the league. This is what I'm going to, to give you. Through the Exodus we find uh, that the promised land is, is brought to them. They, Moses leads them right to the outside of it. What happens when they send the spies in and the spies come back? By the way, do you recall? You've got to read that carefully. They, they came back carrying tremendous bounty, if you will. Fruit, outrageously large fruit. And, and it took two men and a pole to carry a bunch of grapes. I mean, you know, it's a... It's an amazing thing that God had promised them. And one of them gave the report. They said, yeah, there's some, 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 some big people there. In fact, they're, they're giants. And I don't think they're going to just give it to us. We're going to have to take it. Well, the people said, we're not going. And they feared. The thing that was sad was that God had made a promise to them. You go up to the land, I'll kick them out. They didn't believe. As a result, 40 years until every one of those unbelievers was dead and buried. And then God brought them in. But it didn't come in this, this time. It came in with battles. We get Joshua fought the battle of Jericho out of that. And as they came into the land, again, they, they, they didn't listen to God's Word carefully. They weren't obedient to it 100%. And the pagan religion of the Canaanites grabbed root into the Hebrew people. And again, they went downhill. Up and down through the Judges, the book of Judges. The reason why I'm repeating all this to you is to let you know this is our history. And if you think about it, you start to go this. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say it in the sense that I have to admit to you. But this is my personal walk. It's just like this. It is up and it is down. There are times where I know I'm right where God wants me. And there are other times where, quite honestly, I, I have ignored his word. And when I say ignored, I'm trying to make light of it, but the reality is I've deliberately gone my own way. To do something on my own and my own strength. And find myself, like the Hebrews did, lost, weak, in need of guidance, direction, and hope. 
And God, the hound of heaven, comes back and says, well, Bob, come here, and embraces me. We go through the different kings, and we had Saul and then David, and David becomes the heir of the promises. He becomes the one who will bring about the seed. It will come from his family, out of the, uh, you know, out of his, the whole tribe. It's going to be narrowed down. Have you seen, by the way, what God has been doing here? He's been going like this, narrowing it down. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down David, as far as where the sea would come from. After Solomon, the king's kingdoms were in dispute with each other. The, the kingdom of, of, of the Hebrew people divided into two kingdoms. The nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Israel being the northern kingdom and, and Judah being the southern kingdom. And Israel was conquered by the Assyrians and taken into captive, captivity. After that, Judah was captured, uh, conquered by the Babylonians and taken into captivity. Why did God allow that? Again, for the same reason, that they started worshiping other gods. They, got, they drifted away from God, and as a nation, they, they were failing to, to come to Him. Then the Persians conquers the Assyrians and the Babylonians and are in control of the whole picture. And a guy by the name of Cyrus, by the way, is mentioned in Scripture. They, when they showed him his name in Scripture, he looked like, whoa, this was written long before I was born would free them, allow them to go back to the promised land and start over again. So Cyrus not only let them go, gave them permission to return, but gave them great wealth to go with them. Again, the prophecies of the seed coming along this picture. Finally, in Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the uh, New Testament, or Old Testament, excuse me. Comes a prophecy. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This is God speaking. Behold, I prepare a messenger. He's going to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I'm good. What God is saying is that I'm coming to you. And before I come to you, a messenger is going to come in front of me. Proclaiming that I'm coming to prepare you to, to be ready to, to receive me. For 400 years, nothing happens. And the people begin to what? Doubt that it could happen. But then a priest, by the luck of, and I, I'm careful how I use the word luck, I'm just using it in a very vernacular sort of way, not that luck exists, but by the luck of the draw, 
In other words, the, the priest would take turns in, by casting lots or drawing out the, the, the colors of the beast, depending on how they were doing it, would decide who get to serve in the temple at what point and what time. And a man by the name of Zechariah, according to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, is serving in the temple. He's old. His wife is old. One of the things that grieves his heart, maybe had, I don't know that he had stopped, maybe asking, but at this point, seeing how old that he and his wife were, but they never had a child. God says, well, I've heard your prayers. I'm going to honor. You're going to have a son. Not only are you going to have a son, but I'll tell you what, you're going to name him John. I'm combining a few scriptures, I know. Uh, and and uh, he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Wait a minute, Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 1. He's coming. And we enter into the New Testament picking up where the Old Testament, what? Left off. It's a continuous picture. The fact that there's a division in our Bible that says old and new, the story is just continuing. The thing that makes it old was is that the old part was dependent on what the new was going to do through Jesus Christ. So after 400 years, God speaks to Zechariah. I'm giving you a son, and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And then he gave a, uh, a prophecy in, uh, of, of the birth of Jesus to Mary, and, and, he, uh, and, and he foretells and this picture of the seed is continuing. From Genesis 3.15, now we're in the beginning of the, of the Gospels, the seed is still the focal point. It's still the center of the story. We know the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and all that went on. Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. The birth of John the Baptist occurs and happens. Mary is now just a few months from having her baby. The birth of Jesus is retold in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And we begin to now follow the life of Christ. This is the New Testament. The life of Christ, looking and focusing on the seed in the world. Old Testament said the seed is coming to the world. The New Testament says he's here. And we focus on the life of Christ. And in focusing on the life of Christ, the Gospels tell us the things that He taught, the miracles that He did, the wonder of the people as they watched and heard. They said, never have we heard teaching like this. And then the disciples themselves says, what is this man that even nature obeys Him? When they were in the midst of a storm, and the next thing, they're at the, the, in a calm sea, 
at, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the shoreline. The teachings, the, the miracles. But we also get, through all of the Gospels as we read them, the rejection. Those people of the Old Testament, and now we're seeing a division. They were hanging on to the old pictures and refusing to accept God's revelation of the seed. And they grounded themselves and just stuck right there. And so they rejected Christ. Said it can't be. To the point where there was such... and You know, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir at this point. Uh, we look behind us at the cross. We know what we believe. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes the focal point. Why? And you've got to look at this though. The death, a physical body goes into the ground and out comes the, 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 the resurrected body, the supernatural body of Jesus Christ. He's still a man. By the way, he still has what in his hands? He still has what in his side and on his feet? But it's a supernatural body. Does it, a locked room can't keep him out. But he can touch and he can be touched. He even eats. It's a body. A physical resurrected body. He was in a, a, a human husk, I think, the way I look at it, the seed. <laughs> and it had to be undone for it to rise. That gets us now to, whereas we look at the, the, this picture, Genesis 3.15, the seed coming into the world... Uh, Micah uh, telling us how that would happen through the, the leadership of uh, uh, the one coming, preparing the way, John the Baptist, in the spirit of Elijah, and all that we've, we know the Gospels talk about. As far as the New Testament goes, at the end of the Gospels, we go to the book of Acts. Acts is a recording of the history of the church. It's a history book. Records all the supernatural and amazing things that God did. Beginning with the book of Acts, starting with an amazing picture. Jesus ascends to heaven. The disciples are told He will return in the clouds the same way. But that they were to go back to Jerusalem and pray. And they did. Now, how many disciples were at the uh, ascension, by the way? Some people just think it was the, 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 the apostles. It doesn't say that. It doesn't give us a clear number. How many people were in the upper room? hundred and what? Yes, 120. Maybe all of them had watched this. And they started praying and waiting. And praying. And waiting. And praying and waiting. And it didn't happen in a day. It didn't happen in two days. But a few days later, oh, a few weeks later, Pentecost. The 
the outpouring of the Holy Spirit over the 120 as they began to speak in tongues and, and amazing things happened. And the church had a supernatural foundation. The body of Christ would be the, the terminology we'd use to describe it. We have the letters in the New Testament. The letters are there to inform us as to how to live out what was taught in the Gospels. In other words, the letters are written normally to address specific things that were going on in the church and saying, Paul says, or Peter says, or James says, or the author of Hebrews says, no, we can't, you know, this is what we need to do. And in, a, in one case, they all got together and met together and wrestled through it to make sure that they were going the right direction, having to do with how to receive Gentiles into the church. Because it was very clear that was what God was doing. They weren't prepared for that. They, they realized, wow, it's for everybody. Ultimately, they learned something that we find in the book of Galatians. That is something we're quite familiar with. Verses 28 and 29 of chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What did the New Testament just do? It took us all the way back to Genesis. And if you don't know anything about Abraham and Sarah and all that they went through, it's part of the story he's missing. It's important to us. It's applying to us. We are children of Abraham. When we say Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them and so are you, well, let's just praise the Lord. We're making a declaration that is scriptural about the fact that we are descendants of, through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, we are connected to Abraham, we are part of the family of God. Because Abraham was looking for the seed as we have. He was looking ahead. We look back. By the way, how many of you have ever heard the Old Testament is Christ concealed, the New Testament is Christ revealed? Has anybody ever heard that before? Uh, you know, that was one of the things I, one of the first things I, I heard in Bible college. In fact, I heard it before I ever got there uh, at, a, at a conference first. And, and I was trying to figure out, how does that happen? What it was, was saying the Old Testament is saying over and over and over again, as we just did to Malachi, uh, the seed is going to come. But we haven't seen it yet. We haven't clearly seen it yet. We, we, we don't fully understand it yet. And then, boom, we get into the New Testament and it starts revealing so that we can actually see him. He was he was in the Old Testament the whole time. Read Psalm 22. Talks about him on the cross. 
It even goes as far as to talk about the fact that the, the that those who were crucified him were at the bottom of his of the cross casting lots for his clothing. Psalm 22, a thousand years before the cross. And I don't think that they were doing that knowing that they were fulfilling prophecy. I think if they thought they were fulfilling prophecy, they wouldn't have done it. But the neat thing was this picture is that the things that we that divide us here on earth, ethnic uh, relationships, racial relationships, male-female relationships, all the things that divide us here on earth are gone as we enter into our relationship with Christ. Somebody says, well, is there still male and female? I believe there is. But not male and female in the context of the way we think about it. There's no division. We are all the children of God. And collectively together, guys, we became the bride of Christ. So, what a powerful picture. But how much of it is enhanced and and magnified and brought into greater light when you add the Old Testament to it. Heirs according to the promise. By the way, that goes back to Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, where he was promised that all his descendants would match the stars of the earth. We are some of those stars. And while we're here in Galatians chapter 3, let's uh, drop back to verse 23. Paul says, Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Because the question is, is not only to see the Old Testament, but all of these laws, how do they apply to us today? Do we look at the laws of the Old Testament well, there's a certain character of the laws. If it's revealing the character of the Father, then yes, we need to understand them and how they were applied and how they were used. Do all of the laws apply to us today? Well, no, not all. Some of them had to do with the temple. Some of them had to do with other aspects. But the context of them, think about the, the, the Ten Commandments as if they were an a, a, uh, index. <laughs> Read the Ten Commandments through as if they were an index of God's laws. <laughs> but... But the, the, the first group of, of commandments that says it has to do with our relationship with the Father. And then the last group of, has to do with our relationship with each other. And so we go through the, gospel, through the laws and look at how they imply uh, in our relationship with each other. And interact with us and prepare us to be brothers and sisters, neighbors in Christ. Now, believe, you know, we beheld, uh, we were captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. In the Old Testament, concealed. In the New Testament, revealed. The coming faith, the seed, Jesus Christ. So then the law was our guardian, or it was our schoolmaster, or it was our tutor, depending on the translation that you have. But it's all the same word in the Greek, which means a person who is teaching you. The one who's called to teach you. The law was called to teach us what? The holiness of God, the fact that we fall short and therefore can't be in a relationship with Him unless we become holy as He is holy. All of that's out of the Old Testament. But there was no way to get there. 
There wasn't anything I could buy. There wasn't anything I could bring. There wasn't anything in the way. If I had all the treasure of the earth, it wouldn't be enough to cover. Yeah, I'm quoting a song. So what, what God did was what He had planned from the beginning. The seed that would be bruised by, the, by Satan, that's the cross, would rise and crush the power of Satan. As a result, what's the main power that Satan has that reflects him? Death. What do we say? Hey, death, where's your sting? It's gone. Your power's gone. Now, you're not my friend. You're, you're, a, you're an agent of Satan <laughs> and the fall. You're, not, you're the judgment. But, but you have no claim over me because I sit under Christ in the blood of Christ. As a result, I can claim Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation in me. Because the seed, Jesus Christ, has pulled me into his family. He's covered me. A plan before the beginning of the world. Orchestrated, written. I, I, I still think of it and I can't help myself and I know I say this frequently. It's like God wrote out a most beautiful symphony before any of this started. Before he said, in the beginning, he created. Before that started, he wrote out this symphony of how all of this was going to come together. And it's being played out. God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, the seed of woman of Genesis 3.15. The Son of God. God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ. Why did He come and dwell among us? To purchase our salvation. And so, I, I, I stole this from a, a writer out of... Uh, uh, the Gospel Coalition, and I don't even know which one wrote it because I'd already cut it out and put it on a card and I didn't, I've never put his name down here, but it says, In summary, the Old Testament lays the foundation for the coming of the Messiah who would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. The New Testament records the ministry of Jesus Christ and then looks back on what he did and how we are to respond. Both Testaments reveal the same holy, merciful, and righteous God who condemns sin but desires to save sinners through the atoning sacrifice. In both Testaments, God reveals Himself to us and shows us how we are to compare to Him through faith. Genesis 15.6, talking about uh, Abraham and his faith and declaring him righteousness. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 2, talking about how we are saved by grace. And I I realized as I was putting this together, what is, is typical for us to look at, uh, how many of you are uh, uh, familiar with, well, it's, it's called the five solas, the five onlys? You know, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. 
in Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And it's done through the seed. God come in the flesh, the one who came and emptied himself. Didn't, gra- didn't have to grasp at equality because he was equal. Philippians chapter 2 talks about this. Came and died on the cross for us to purchase us. The Old Testament, the New Testament is the complete picture. We need them together. I want to encourage you to actually look at opportunities. There's hundreds of scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. Uh, one of the one of the best books on it uh, is uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, and he, it's two volumes. And then he, I think you buy it together now as one volume, the part one and part two. But he goes through all the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. Goes back to Genesis. Well, uh, he goes back to Psalm 22. Talks about him being nailed on a cross, and long before there was ever that type of punishment, it was descriptive enough to know that's what he was talking about. Isn't it amazing? Because the Old Testament God put together in such a way that we can have a confidence because Jesus put it together and fulfilled it all perfectly. We can have a confidence that God is who He says He is and has done what He says He has done. And that we can come to Christ with an absolute confidence that He is the Son of God. He did the cross for us. It wasn't some accident it wasn't some mis- it wasn't some group of people coming together after his death and trying to to redeem something out of the years they had put into it it's the actual reality jesus christ died on the cross resurrected after 3 days came in the flesh res- bodily physical resurrection and as we come to him seeking his grace in faith through christ using his scripture to god's glory we realize, I am a child of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God. There's nothing created that can do that. Isn't that awesome? Let's share communion together this morning and uh, ask the ushers to come forward. And as we share, just in a sense, sometimes uh, we have different ways of approaching it in a sense of rejoicing in what God has done for us, that through the blood of Christ, we have been saved. We have been redeemed.